Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. Phase two, really, of a series that's been, uh, in some ways, uh, months in the making. Uh, in late September, we came to the congregation and we asked you to uh, pray, to sort of lay down uh, your agendas and your own thoughts and your opinions and preferences, and really seek God together and say, hey, what are our next steps as a community? How do we navigate uh this pandemic as a church uh, without a facility uh, in a place where uh, we are maybe allowed to meet uh, in rented spaces. At that time, there were actually not even any rented rentable spaces available. Uh, we were feeling a desperate need to connect the body and help people uh, gather, but not knowing how to do it, and really wanting to just seek God and say, "How do we? How do we do this? Do we marshal ourselves and?" buy a building and put something together, or do we uh, trust you over time? And as we listened, uh, we heard uh, so many uh, helpful things uh, from you as a community. Uh, in, in fact, some of it was rich enough that I felt like we we barely scratched the surface of sort of analyzing and digging into some of your thoughts. Uh, so we're very, very grateful for what uh, you shared with us. Uh, what we came away with in the end was really a sense of, of one word, and when we're just reviewing last week a little bit here, uh, was the idea that we're supposed to trust God in this time, that there's enough uncertainty and enough sort of struggle, enough stress, enough strain that uh, not only are we just supposed to hang on and endure, but that God wants to use this time uh, to do something inside of us, to to do something transformative in us, uh, to rewrite or reshape uh, the DNA of us as a community uh, in some way. So we're very grateful for your contributions to that. Um, and what we came to last week is realizing that we're faced with the question, can we do the essentials of a life of faith, of a life of trust, uh, when our forms of worship and our forms of acting out our faith were forced to change? At, at our core, are we still uh, able to be who we're called to be as a people when all of those sort of external things are shaken? And if you remember, we sort of looked at this image, like some of us are, are loving that ability to gather and remembering that. Remember that picture I showed last week of our church community all gathered together, uh, worshiping just before COVID. Uh, is it about the live worship, the ability to come and gather and do that? Is that... Uh, worship cultural experience, that thing that made being part of our church community the important thing for you is the programs. Is it Sunday school, the ability to have childcare so you can sit and listen to teaching uh, and your child can be discipled and have amazing content to, to deliver to them? Is the fellowship and the coffee time or is it just something about being together? Is it just something about that vibe of being in the room with a whole pile of people uh, that love and worship Jesus? Like that's for me as a pastor. Uh, that's what I've lived for. And so in some ways, my identity has been uh, in, incorrectly in some ways uh, locked in on that as like the ultimate goal is to just see the whole church gathered in, in one room. And when that's taken away, uh, is my uh, connection to Jesus sort of shaken in some way? When all that stuff is sort of stripped away, you know, what have we got? We've got all kinds of uncertainty, all kinds of question, all kinds of struggle, uh, all kinds of challenge. Uh, and And certainly for me, as a pastor, lots of sort of dark moments of 
man, what am I doing here? Uh, how are we going to reach people? How are we going to connect? Like what's, what's happening when, when that much change is introduced? And we know that you went through all that too. And as we came to this question of those things are taken away, really, are we still the church? We take all, all the way the trappings of faith, all of the usual forms, all the usual things we did stylistically, all the usual patterns. Are we still the church? And what we came to, of course, is back that word trust. We can trust God with the externals. Uh, the sense that, yeah, when we need to have a building and we're able to have a building and we need that space to meet in, we, we can trust him to provide that. We can trust him to lead us in a way that uh, he'll have that taken care of for us. We can trust in him as a gracious and generous uh, provider. But in the meantime, in this journey, this sort of time of exiles we've been talking about from First Peter, uh, he wants us to work on the essentials. And at the end of the sermon, uh, we just identified what we felt those essentials were to you. He wants us to strengthen our theological, biblical, and organizational foundations. So he wants us to uh, really work on the things that ground us. He wants us to work on having a common language uh, for the gospel story so that we can present it to our culture, uh, so we can make an answer uh, for the hope that we have, uh, so that we can have unifying language around uh, some theological things that are dividing many churches, uh, so that we can know how to articulate uh, what really is our center, our core, our theological foundation, and so that unbelievers can look at us and understand, and so that new believers uh, can have a track to run on as they follow in their journey of going deeper so that they won't be swayed. We won't be swayed by uh, ideas and issues and all of the shifting sands of culture. Uh, he's calling us to go deep in discipleship, uh, to work on issues of character, to work on issues of the heart, to be people who walk out the gospel so we don't just know things, but we have them happening in our heart. We're going to talk about that. And he wants us to be a body that connects and cares. He wants to be a body that is connected. And so we are spending a lot of time as a leadership community trying to figure out how to uh, do these things. We don't have all of the answers. We don't have all of the sort of uh, structural, organizational uh, planning done to figure out how do we actually sort of accomplish this in terms of going deeper in all of these areas. But what we want to start with is really understanding uh, the why. We understand why these things are important, uh, why these things are our center, why these things are the core of who we are as a community and what God's calling us to be uh, in this time. I just want to share this thought. Honest church leaders will admit that if the pandemic has shown us anything at all, at the very least, it's shown us our vulnerabilities. At the very least, it's shown us where we're weak. At the very least, it's shown us uh, where we are sort of falling apart as a community. And that's looking at statistics, uh, North America wide, worldwide, Canada, and knowing our own anecdotal stories where we as a church community stretched and strained and struggling. And the gift therein of that pandemic is that we can prepare ourselves for greater storms that are to come. And, and that's not necessarily doomsaying. That's not like saying, man, this is just a warm up for the big uh, event where we're really going to get smoked in two years or whatever. It, maybe that's true. We don't know. But the reality is, is that as, as rough as this has been for us, that if we look back at the years of church history and the trajectory of Christianity, there's actually been much, much, much worse. And would our faith stand under the much, much worse? I want to show you an image because we're going to use the... Um, a brief video, we're just going to use the idea of um, a building, of a church building or a home uh, as, as sort of a metaphor to discuss uh, these principles. And so I just want to show you 
uh, this image. This is uh, two houses that's at a lab in the U.S. And essentially, it's just two houses, just fully built. They've got furniture in them and the whole deal. They're in a wind tunnel. Uh, this one here has been built uh, with practices that would be consistent with the way a home needs to be built in a hurricane zone. This is a home that hasn't been built. Uh, in that zone. And I just want to suggest, just so we get this sort of image in our head, which could be a metaphor for some of us in our journey of faith. And uh, yeah, just, just have a look at what the wind can do here. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? And if we let that go on, it will uh, just build the house back up. Watch it backwards. You'll be all distracted and won't pay any attention. Um, so we don't want to do that. But the question is, um, if God is building in us a spiritual house, and that's a reference to 1 Peter 2. We've been spending a lot of time in 1 Peter 2. I think the reality is, is he wants to build in us a house that will last. He wants to build in us a house that will withstand the storms. He wants to build in us a house that will uh, take times like COVID and result in not only uh, us surviving it, but maybe even a stronger faith uh, than we've ever had before. Um, that's why we read this passage from Matthew chapter 7 uh, during the worship. I'll read, it, read this section again. Uh, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the flood came and the wind blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and so uh, as we looked at earlier that idea is that the pandemic has really revealed the vulnerabilities of our structure it's revealed uh, the vulnerabilities of our faith. And, and this is how we've identified them, sort of as a leadership community and how the Lord, I think, has identified them to us. Um, as you guys have shared various words with us over the last several months. Uh, and the first thing is our, our spiritual house is vulnerable to being washed away in the flood of culture shift. That there is so much changing now through the force and the power of media, of streaming media, of accessibility to information, of accessibility to disinformation, uh, that um, we are in a place of flux as a culture, that there is a lot of change happening. And if we as a church aren't grounded, we are going to get swept away in that storm. Our other vulnerability is a vulnerability to decomposition. Uh, from moral, moral character issues and the failure of those things within. Uh, and that's always been the truth of us as Christians, of people, is that uh, there's a constant effort on the part of the enemy to take our lives and cause rot to happen inside, to cause us to decay morally, to cause us uh, to let little things slip that will allow us to let another little thing slip that will allow us to let another little thing slip. So that in the end, uh, a Christianity doesn't have a moral foundation that both makes it a witness and both allows us to stand as people who are uh, exhibiting uh, joy in our culture, who are exhibiting health in our culture, who are modeling uh, Jesus' way of being. So we're vulnerable to that from within. And we're vulnerable to being blown apart by the winds of trial and tribulation. It means we're just vulnerable to disunity. We're vulnerable to being scattered. We're vulnerable to being isolated. Uh, when trials come, it's harder to be connected relationally. 
And when we're not connected relationally, we're destroyed. Like that house uh, was not put together well. It was not connected well. And when the wind hit it, it just literally blew apart. And so those connections are important. So I want to talk about those uh, all specifically, just sort of one by one, and tie them to our, our main ideas, our ideas about foundations, our ideas about discipleship, and our ideas about connections. Uh, so this first question of vulnerability is like this, a vulnerability to be washed away in the flood of cultural shift. And if we identify our problem or the problems of the church of North America in this time, it is that our foundations are weak and shallow. Our faith is unresearched. We haven't asked the big questions that many of us need to ask. We haven't looked into the history of the church. We haven't looked into the history uh, of the way that Jesus taught his followers and how they walked out their faith in the first and second century. We haven't looked into the mysteries of the scriptures themselves to realize just how much strength and how much veracity, how much truth and how much life is in the word of God itself. Our faith is ungrounded. There are things that I hear all the time as a pastor or that we see in social media that indicate that uh, some things about who Jesus is and how he's calling us to live are just simply badly misunderstood. We just don't know the things we ought to know. Even even look at the question of biblical literacy uh, in our children, biblical literacy in ourselves as adults that are, are not knowing the scriptures. And in some ways, our faith is just untested because in so many ways, when difficulties come, we just switch it off and go to other forms of comfort and other forms of, uh, of knowing, or we switch the channel and watch something else other than uh, go deep when our faith is being tested. We don't allow some of those real tests that need to happen to happen. We just switch our minds off and go to comfort. Um, and uh, this is really, I mean, this is an atheist now speaking about our culture, our whole culture in that way. This is uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's sort of one of the famous atheist spokespersons, uh, a scientist, um, somebody you'll see on the Disney Channel, as sort of a leading voice uh, in, in that kind of education. And he says this, one of the biggest problems with the world today is that we have large groups of people who will accept whatever they hear on the grapevine. And when he says on the grapevine, he means through your social media channels, uh, through the shows you're watching, uh, through what your friends are saying in the coffee shop, whatever it is, you'll accept whatever they hear on the grapevine, not because it is actually true or because they have evidence support to support it. People prefer reassurance to research. That's what I'm talking about is that very often, instead of going deep with our faith, we'll go to something that's comforting. We won't wrestle with the big questions. And then when our faith is actually challenged in a more aggressive or difficult way, we don't have the legs to stand on. Uh, Timothy points this out, or Paul points this out to Timothy. He says, For time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and just wander off into myths. And doesn't that sound like some of what's happening in our culture? Uh, listen to this. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Can you endure listening to even this sermon for more than 20 minutes? Like it's probably going to be 30. Can you endure uh, 
uh, going on YouTube and listening to a video from N.T. Wright or another really respected uh, Christian scholar, can you endure uh, getting those doctrinal pieces locked down? I mean, that's boring. That's not exciting. That's not interesting. I'd rather watch it in a movie format or I'd rather watch it Chronicles of Narnia. That sort of gives me some kind of good theology, but it's also got a lot of action. Can you endure the work of learning? Can you endure the work of listening to sound doctrine and wrestling with some of these questions? Or are we going to have itching ears and just accumulate things that just suit our passions? Uh, accumulate teaching that just sort of, yeah, yeah, I like that. I want to learn more about that thing, about the solid, the basics, the foundations of the faith. Eh, that's just not sexy. It's just not interesting to me right now. Um, and the danger is that we will turn away to myths and just wander off because we're not grounded. So the solution, of course, to all of this is to strengthen our biblical and theological foundations. In this time, uh, when COVID has hit, we've, we've seen this vulnerability revealed because we've seen people's faith uh, shaken. We've seen people drifting ideologically. We've seen people drifting culturally. So how do we strengthen those things? How do we give ourselves permission to call you as a church community and call ourselves as leaders to go deeper than we've gone before? Will we do the work of digging our foundations deeper? And that's an enormous challenge. Digging a hole in which to pour concrete is not the most exciting part of a building project. Uh, in fact, when I was a, a construction guy and I was the low guy on the totem pole when we were church planting, I was often doing carpentry. Um, they would be sort of essentially using Italian racial slurs for me, the guy who had to go and mix mortar on little jobs, right? Because that's the grunt work. That's the boring work. That's that's like, that's like the not fun work. You got to sit there. You got to pour concrete out of a bag onto uh, a plywood and pour water into it and mix it uh, while the other guys are getting to pound, you know, nails and to make walls and to frame things. Mixing concrete is not the fun part about building, but it's an essential part of building. It's an essential part of building. It's critical and it's hard work. Uh, will we do that work as people? Will you buckle down and do that work as a person? And Timothy, again, is, is encouraged to, to do this work. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. I can't think of a lot of work I've done reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. But we as a church need to be reproved, sometimes rebuked, and exhorted at in our general direction. I exhort in your general direction, right? We need that kind of work done in our lives. But we live in sort of a culture where we're sort of hyper-independent. Okay, so everybody went uh, to uh, the quest for the Holy Grail. Sorry about that. Um, so we need that work done in our hearts, right? Uh, again, uh, Paul talking to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Have you ever just thought about sort of stepping outside of your worldview and sort of saying, hey, how am I acting? How am I behaving? Is how I'm behaving consistent with what I say I believe about Jesus? Uh, are my beliefs consistent? What, what, are, what are really strong, uh, trusted preachers saying? And when they preach, is it challenging me? Uh, is it causing me to grow? 
am I exposing myself to that kind of content? Am I made uncomfortable enough to be transformed by it? Monitor uh, your doctrine closely. Uh, the second thing that uh, we talked about being vulnerable to is decomposition from moral and character failure within. And that's a risk for all of us. And again, this is something that we have seen uh, happen in COVID. We've seen so many people uh, slipping back into addictions or wrestling with, again, unhealthy ways of, of receiving comfort, of going into bad habits, of even myself a struggle with uh, food and eating and all of those sorts of things that are an indicator of a challenge uh, to try to uh, be a person who can do the thing you ought to do when it's not the thing you want to do. When you're under stress, when you're under duress, when the pressure is on you, and you see this in this image, when the pressure comes on you, does your structure crumble? Are you squished? Are you squashed? Or are you able to stand up under it? And the answer, of course, to being able to stand up under that is uh, a deep, deep uh, level of discipleship and a way of looking into your life that allows you to see the weaknesses that are there and to be built up. Um, the, uh, the sort of tie into our image of homes and building is, is, is the material quality is the quality that you're building with is the material you're building with a material that's, that's good quality or is it, or is it soft? Is it mushy? Is it rotten? Is it cheap? Is it not invested in? Can we invest in ourselves? Can we invest in our faith? Can we invest in our character? so that we can stand up to the storm. And in many cases, this problem is that our faith has been unapplied, it's been unlived out, it's been unfulfilled, there's not repentant, and then there's just a cheap grace kind of faith that we've inherited as part of our culture. And we see this moral decomposition, this is actually from an old study, but if you look at comparing uh, evangelical Christians to non-Christians, and you would imagine, or you would think you would want to imagine that Christians would have some of these things, and these are just the old classic issues. Um, we're not talking about things like uh, pornography, we're not talking about things that are sort of more current issues. Again, this is an old study, and, it, and it's actually gotten worse since that time. But if you look at the divorce rate between Christians and non-Christians, 27% of Christians is not to put judgment on those of you who struggle through that. 23% of non-Christians. You'd expect maybe there to be a higher commitment level or something happening there that would cause us to be stronger in terms of marriage and the family. But we see there that there's moral erosion. And again, this is a very complex issue. I'm not meaning to bring judgment. Uh, gambling, 23%. Uh, 27% for non-Christians. Uh, people who feel like they're overly indebted. Uh, Christians, 33%. Non-Christians, 36%. Uh, people giving to the homeless, people who will actually have you given to somebody on the street in the last uh, 30 days, I think was the question that was asked in the survey. Uh, among Christians, 24% have given something to a homeless person panhandling. 34% have given, uh, of non-Christians have given to a person panhandling. We're outstripped in terms of our generosity and percentage of giving uh, in terms of our overall giving to charity on an annual basis. Christian, 2.3%. That's fair. When we talked earlier about tithing, that's a fair bit below the tithe when you look at the average of people who would call themselves believers. 2.1%. Uh, 
percent for non-Christians. Uh, we're not excelling in that area either. So we see that the church is not distinct in many, many areas uh, from the world, that we have uh, an erosion at the center of us. Uh, many of us live Christianity as a celebration of our salvation. That's great. We're celebrating our salvation. Uh, we continually revel and enjoy the feeling of the freedom that we have from guilt, right? Because Jesus has taken our sin away. He died on the cross. We're set free from that shame. And we could celebrate that, that we have uh, a pathway to eternal life. Like there's something amazing about that. Uh, we, we, but we live in an endless cycle of stumbling, receiving uh, grace and absolution and forgiveness, a sense of that, a feeling euphoria and excitement because we're forgiven. And then back to stumbling over the same things again. And many of us are in this sort of endless cycle of stumbling, uh, receiving absolution, feeling euphoria, and back to stumbling again. But true discipleship is the long, hard work of training and strengthening our feeble knees so that we are less prone to stumbling in the first place. Will we do that hard work? The hard work of building our character, the hard work of dealing with... Uh, pain and, and struggle from our family of origin issues, uh, wounds that we've received, traumas that we've experienced, um, sins that have been committed against us, sins that we've committed against others, the griefs of life. Will we do the work on allowing the Lord to heal our hearts? Will we let the gospel uh, be not just something we know in our heads, or we have a firm foundation that we're standing on, but will we allow it to be uh, something that transforms uh, the very fiber of our being? that drives out the rot, that drives out um, the brokenness and builds us up and makes us strong again. Uh, again, back to First Peter. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So put away bad behaviors. Put them away. Don't just uh, put them away, uh, feel bad about them, uh, feel absolution, feel the love of Jesus, feel forgiven, and then go back and do them again. There has to be a trajectory whereby those things are put away from us. And if we're just constantly cycling like that, um, it, it, there's an impurity in it. There's um, uh, an, an infantile nature to it, and he is calling us. Uh, to, to go for milk that is pure spiritual milk that will grow us up. And I remember uh, a, a neighbor that I had, you know, growing up and, and watch, going over to their house. This was on a little street, backside street in Saskatoon. And I remember going over to this house and, and being amazed at what the kids were able to eat for breakfast. I thought it was the most amazing thing. My, my neighbor friend was having cocoa puffs with Coca-Cola on them. That was breakfast. <laughs> right? For little, little kids. We don't want to live a faith that's like that. That will erode us. That will rot us. That will rot our teeth, right? We need pure spiritual milk. We need the scriptures. We need discipleship. 
So the solution is to invest in those quality materials. And, and we don't know really, we're learning how to do discipleship as a community. We're, we're trying to figure out what really works. We're trying to figure out what the content needs to be. We're trying to figure out what the forms, the patterns of living and interacting need to be so that we have an opportunity to engage and go really deep. Uh, you know, I just, I'll throw out an interesting challenge out here. Uh, the women are doing a Bible study on the book of James right now. And if I look back at the history of the church, uh, and again, this is a, a challenging Bible study. They're actually doing homework and they're writing in a journal and they're uh, doing, you know, some amazing work in the book of James to see that that is understood and to see that's applied. Now, if I look back at the history of the church, the women in our church have invested many, many, many times more in their personal discipleship as a group than the men of our church have. I'm just going to throw it out there and be really honest. I'm going to say it like this, the women of OVV have a stronger biblical education and foundation than the men of OVV, and that should challenge us men. As we look to move forward, how do we help men uh, grow deep in the word and spend the time uh, and engage and work on our discipleship? Maybe we could catch up to the ladies. God bless you women. I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing. You challenge us, and I'm very, very thankful. Uh, so we confess the rot. We apply the gospel. We repair hearts, and we go deep in discipleship. We figure out how to do that work. So that's the second thing that we heard back from the community that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to grow in. And Jesus said to his disciples, right, uh, if whoever wants to be my disciple, deny themselves. Take up your cross. Follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So there's a cost to this. This is effort to be put in. This is time to be spent. This is your sleeves rolled up. This is your hearts ripped open. Uh, this is time and energy invested in this. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts a much, a very, very fine point on it and says this in a very challenging way. This is a famous quote from his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Man, is that what we've been preaching? Is that what we've been living? to just create a space. And again, it is wonderful, wonderful to celebrate the grace and the forgiveness, uh, the absolution, the freedom, uh, the trajectory towards uh, life eternal that we receive in the gospel. But we must receive discipleship and pay the cost for it, or else we will simply erode and crumble into a pile of dust when the pressure comes down on our life. Will we be discipled? Will we figure out what that means? And will we commit ourselves to it in terms of time, energy, dollars, whatever it takes? 
Uh, the third vulnerability is a vulnerability to being blown apart by the winds of trial and the tribulation. And we've certainly experienced that in COVID is that the wind has been blowing. Life has not been easy. Even if we look back to that time of lockdown, how hard it was to get to a store, how hard it was to get toilet paper, uh, how hard it is to get your kids to school, how hard it is to be educated for you who are in high school, who are going to school, how much harder that is, how much more energy is required to simply sort of be in that space for you as a teacher, say, looking at one of the wonderful teachers in our community, Leanne, uh, doing the job that she uh, would normally do as a teacher uh, and has done for years is now doing it at twice the effort to achieve the same results because of the pressure that the system is under. She's under enormous strain and we should be praying for her. Like Leanne, we so appreciate uh, what you're doing as a person. Um, because there's a whole culture around us and there's a whole church culture around us that as this pressure comes, um, we have a tendency to be fractured and blown apart and disconnected. Uh, there are poor connections because we are independent. We are not united as we could be. We are unaccountable in many ways for how we walk out our lives. We are isolated and alone. And we live in a paradigm of relativistic faith where faith for you uh, is can be one thing and you can find your own expression of doing faith, your own expression of doing Christianity. And you can say to another person beside you who might be challenging you to walk in a new and a fresh and a better way, and you can sort of say to them, well, well, that's your way of doing it. That's what God is speaking to you, but that's not what God is speaking to me. And so that principle that's applying to you doesn't necessarily have to apply to me when I think we have one God who would like to apply the principles of growth and of following him across his whole body. Now, we talked about that earlier when we talked about giving. There are different moments and times and spaces when he might challenge us on one or more of these different things. It might be an issue he's after in the moment. But every one of those five issues in terms of giving and finance and how God wants to use those things to get to issues in our heart, every single one of those principles applies. And every single one of those things is something in which he wants every single one of us to grow. We don't get to turn the others off, even though God might be emphasizing one in the moment. Our faith is not meant to be relativistic. It's meant to be communal because we have one God, one Lord, one Father of us all, one Holy Spirit. And if you want to look at that sense of disconnection just through the eyes of a very, very simple uh, statistic, we just look at this. Between March and June of 2020, and this is a statistic from, I'm making fun of myself, uh, from the United States, um, 32% of people previously identified as practicing Christians, practicing Christians, have stopped attending church services of any kind, either online or in person. It's in a three or four month period when COVID hit, the church in North America lost a third of its people who just stopped coming, just disconnected when the pressure came were just simply blown away and the church was blown apart. And we could look at that and say, well, those are people who weren't really uh, deeply connected. They weren't people who were really committed, but that's precisely the issue is that we weren't connected. 
that we weren't built together. And this is, this is something that I've heard from people that we love and people actually who have, have a strong faith and people who are connected who actually said, you know what, it's so hard to connect kids uh, to church online and the kids are busy and we're really busy. You know what, once COVID is over, we'll just come back to church then. And so is your faith a faith that you can just suspend for a year? Because it's hard? If that's the case, then there might be a problem with the connection. And the solution is, same as building, again, the building principle, the foundations have to be strong, the materials have to be good, um, and, and it has to be braced, it has to be connected, the connections have to be good. The solution is to be a community that connects and cares. That's the third phrase that we identified as a senior leadership team. We need to see other people. We need to reach out. We need to commit. We need to submit. We need to give account in our lives. We can't live independent, isolated, uh, relativistic, lonely lives. Or we will be blown apart. And if you look at a building and the way it's built, the bracing isn't always obvious because the way we build homes now, um, we build it by basically nailing sheets of plywood to the outside. And the idea is, if you look at this image, that this point down here that's lower, that's connected to the foundation, uh, connects across uh, to the top of the structure connects across to the top of the wall so that when pressure is applied here, when the wind blows at this point at the top corner of a building, it can't be pushed over because the force is transmitted down to the foundation. And that's how we have to live as Christians so that if pressure is applied to us, if pressure is applied to you as a person who's struggling with an issue, if you don't have a relational connection with somebody else in the body, the force that is applied to you standing alone won't be transmitted to something strong and you will be blown over. You will be blown apart just like that house that we saw in the video because the bracing wasn't done right, because it's not connected. If you're wobbly, if you're shaking when the wind comes, uh, what you would do is you would try to apply some force to the ground at a distance from yourself. If somebody's going to push you over and knock you out, uh, you will step over to try to brace yourself, to widen your stance, to make yourself stronger. You're connecting yourself in a deeper way to something solid. And so if you're finding yourself in this time and you know people who are swaying back and forth in the winds of trial and tribulation that we're experiencing in this time, you need to be the brace that helps connect that person to the foundation so that they can stand. We need to work on those connections. We just see this all over the scriptures. Hebrew chapter 10, uh, 24 to 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This classic uh, verse that would be quoted at this point in this sermon, wherever the sermon is preached. But it's so true. Don't neglect meeting together. Gather the coals. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, uh, 12 to 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil or unbelieving heart, uh, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, for as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Take care that you not have an unbelieving heart that is leading you to fall away. The solution to the unbelieving heart 
or the evil heart that is leading you away. The solution to that is to be exhorted, to exhort one another, to have relationships that have space for exhortation in them. We find ways of having friendships and trusting people who just will not challenge us. Uh, We make grace in many ways, and many times we make grace and acceptance to be the foundation of our relationship so that we are comfortable with people who won't poke us, who won't uh, tweak our ear, who won't point out a struggle that we're having because we see, feel safe in those relationships. We feel like uh, we don't have to endure uh, the pain of conflict. We don't have to endure being poked or our faults being noticed. And so grace is wonderful in that sense of it being comfortable. But if we want true and deep and lasting friendships, we need friendships that contain space for exhortation where we can say to our friend and challenge them, hey, you need to grow in this area. Or you can hear your friend say to you, hey, I need to grow in this area. You need to grow. You need this to change. Let our friendships not be based purely on the grace. Of course, love overall, but allow space for exhortation and for challenge. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Philippians 2.4 For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And all through the scriptures, time after time, place after place, we see the value and the importance of community and relationships. So those are the struggles for us. Those are the three things. If we want as a church and if you want as an individual to be a strong spiritual house, you need to have solid foundations. You need to know what you believe. You need to be able to articulate it. You need to be able to know how it differs from uh, the prevailing uh, movement in culture so that when ideas come across your path, either through media or through movies or through whatever it is that you're taking in, you will know to stand on the gospel. You'll know to stand on Jesus Christ and not be moved to drift off into a place that is following myths and leads to a futile and empty life. You need uh, to have quality materials. You need your body, yourself, to be built up and strengthened and to become more uh, like Christ. You need to be discipled. And you need strong connections to other humans. And we need all three. Some of us might have strong foundations, but not have been discipled. We might know things, but we may not have applied them. And if that's the case, if we're missing uh, that uh, emotional, uh, spiritual character strength, knowing everything will still blow over. If we don't have uh, those strong relational connections, we might have been discipled. uh, We might know everything that can be known about Christianity. But if you don't have relationships in your life, you're still blowing over. All three things need to be happening. So what is your area of vulnerability? What is your area of struggle? What is your area of challenge? You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God, people and members of his household. So you are part of a family. You are part of a body. Uh, We have to think about how that family works to build us together into a spiritual house with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone and in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord.
And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He wants to build us into a house. Uh, He wants uh, your foundations to be strong. He wants you to be of good character and he wants you to be connected. And that's what we feel a call to as a leadership community. That's what we feel is possible for us in this time when we don't have a physical house, when we don't have a building. We know that it is possible to do these inner things, to do these deep things, and to do this work, and to be transformed and come through to maybe someday having a space to meet corporately again, but come out stronger than we've ever been before. And so if you're looking at these images, which, you know, which house... Which house do you want to be? Where's your vulnerability? Where's my vulnerability? And we bring those things to the Lord. Jake, why don't you come and why don't you pray for us? Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.